Welcome to the first episode of the City of Champions podcast. My name is uh, Edgar Rodriguez and my co-host Eugene Raynor, who's got an excellent background in basketball. He's the expert on that. Uh, I tend to lean more towards the Dodgers side uh, and we look forward to, you know, entertaining you guys, bringing some good conversation, hopefully, you know, getting your thoughts once we publish, you know, these, these podcast episodes, Um, try to make it as interactive as possible, as fun as possible. And try to, you know, get as many perspectives as uh, as there are, you know, uh, sports, something that we can both talk about for, for days and uh, always like to hear what uh, fans have. Uh, today's game was not the uh, not the best. The general reaction to the game was we started great first two innings and then things sort of uh, fell apart. What, I mean, what stood out to you the most, Gene? Uh, what do you see? What do you like? What do you dislike? Yeah, I mean, well, you you kind of summed it up like really well. Like we we came out and we started super strong, right? Uh, the first inning just felt like we were gonna just like you know just come out score a bunch of runs. Um, you know, Mookie gets on. You know, uh, Corey with the single. I um, mean, things are just looking really well. And but that's kind of like the whole game for the Dodgers today, right? Things were looking very well, and then they would come to a halt. You know, a ground down to a double play, or guys would strike out. And um, and Kershaw started the game really strong, and then the the wheels eventually uh, fell off. So um, you know it's the first game of the season, and I know there's definitely you know us as Dodger fans were very emotional, and so there's definitely people who are who are already stressing. But like you said, Matt, we're the defending champs, so it's game one, uh, a long season to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. You know, I thought uh, I thought things were going to be smooth um, once we got that uh, that pickoff. How often, uh, you know, do you see a pickoff, especially, you know, during the first game that might have five times at most during the entire season. Uh, and, you know, with Kershaw, it's, it's not so surprising, but, you know, I thought we were going to have a good game uh, because of that. And then, uh, you know, the double plays just started uh, rolling in and nothing was going right. And, you know, for the Rockies, it just seemed like everything went right. You know, seeing I single here and it, it almost seemed like they were hitting the ball in the exact same place in between the gap every single time. And I, I mean, I don't even know how to explain that, you know, they weren't hitting the ball strong. They certainly weren't knocking, uh, you know, Kershaw around. Uh, and, you know, we all know when Kershaw gets knocked around, he gets knocked around. This was not one of those games. Um, you know, so I didn't feel too bad on that end. I, I think, you know, Kershaw's a professional. He's a, he's a workhorse. He's going to bounce back, but you know, the bigger issue was really the, uh, the, I don't know if it's lack of motivation or just bad luck, but, you know, guys were not on top of it, you know, Seager with that, uh, with that air, you know, early on, um, it, it just, I mean, what do you think about that? That do you think it's sort of just, you know, knocking the rust off or is it, uh, you know, more to come, you know, from that? What do you think that was? No, man, I don't think it's more to come. Um, you know, Dave Roberts kind of summed it up really well in the, in the post-conference where he just said, um, they just didn't play a good game. Like that, it is what it is. They didn't play a good game. Um, Kershaw was rolling. Pitch count was super low. I think after the second inning, he was like in the twenty pitch mark, something like that. And his his pitch count wasn't even high when they pulled him from the game. But as you said, every ground ball just seemed to find an opening in the Dodgers' defense. And then you you put that on top of the errors, right? Seager has that error that extends that inning, and it's just you know, and it just seemed like the Rockies just kept slapping the ball around, and you know, we couldn't hit with runners in scoring position. I think we finished. A with like 15 hits and and five runs in the Rockies I think had like 10 hits but eight runs so they were just I just felt like multiple times it was like three singles in a row three singles in a row and so I mean I just like I said it's it's one game 
Um, didn't look pretty. We would definitely would have preferred a win, but just happy that baseball is back. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And uh, I mean, what better way to sort of sum up the game than uh, with that Bellinger home run, not home run? Uh, you know, to my surprise, I never uh, realized that a home run doesn't count unless the guy scores. So you hit the ball over the fence and if you run out of the baseline or you, you know, hit a fielder or something, you might be called out just because you've got to score that run. And, you know, the rule book actually, you know, it doesn't have anything about the ball going over the fence, nothing at all. It just says, you know, it's something or a hit where a guy goes around all four bases and scores and that, that that's what a home run is. Um, not, not really sure if you can fault anyone for that, you know, Turner did what he had to do. Um, you might've said, Hey, you know, look up, you know, take a look at where uh, Bellinger's going. Um, but he, you know, you can't really fault anyone. It's just one of those freak plays that you literally never see ever, you know, maybe once every 20 years. Um, so, you know, just, uh, we've got to move on. We've got to move on. It's game one out of 162. Um, and, you know, just jot it up in the, uh, the bad game column, uh, lots to learn, you know, I think, uh, you know, the bigger talking points are, you know, things like should Austin Barnes be starting as a catcher, any game, should he be in there? Um, you know, we've got, you know, the young stud, Will Smith, you, you know, who, could be getting better. He could be getting that experience. He could be picking up um, that momentum that you need later on in the season. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, you know, when I saw that Austin Barnes was starting, it was kind of anticipated because everyone that follows the Dodgers knows that Austin Barnes is somewhat Kershaw's personal catcher, kind of that relationship he had with AJ Ellis back in the day, right? Where AJ, AJ Ellis would catch all of his games. So that was kind of expected, but it's just, um, as a fan, it is frustrating when you have this like young stud catcher in Will Smith, who just absolutely has been raking since he's been up in the big leagues and you want him to get as many at bats as possible. You know, uh, we don't even know if he gets an at bat today. If Austin Barnes doesn't get hurt at that play at the plate, you know? Um, and so that's just, a it's a bit frustrating. You know, I kind of posted that on Twitter also just um, if you want Will Smith to get better and develop this relationship with the pitching staff, you're going to have to give him opportunity, right? He's not going to get better at catching Kershaw. If you're constantly putting in Austin Barnes as Kershaw's personal catcher. And so we were able to get away with Barnes as a defensive catcher last year due to the DH and the NL, right? And it served us well because Austin Barnes, 100% is a better defensive catcher than Will Smith. He calls the game better. He pitch frames better, better defensive catcher all the way around. But Will Smith is young and has a lot of areas to grow and learn, but he's not going to learn if we don't give him the opportunity. So um, I think like in the end, it's going to probably split. I think um, Dave Roberts commented something like Will Smith would catch like 90 games and, you know, Barnes would catch the rest. I'm hoping it's a little bit more like 100 to 60 games in favor of Will Smith. Um, but, you know, we'll see, you know, um, we'll see. I'm curious to see um, who catches who specifically, like is Barnes going to specifically catch certain pitchers or, um, or is Will Smith or is it, is you know, going to mix it up? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's one of the things that I've never really, uh, you know, liked about Roberts is um, he splits time. He splits, you know, guys time when uh, sometimes it's not necessary. I mean, you think about a guy like, uh, you know, Kike and, you know, he, there might be an exception uh, uh, with Kike, um, but, you know, sometimes you just got to let a guy 
you know, struggle through left-handed, right-handed pitching. Uh, they're not going to get better if you don't let him get better. Um, and, you know, I hope, you know, Kike has a, you know, a great season in Boston. So much as I hate, you know, Boston, I, I, I wish that guy luck. And I really think he's going to come out and uh, be a big presence in that lineup. Um, and I, I kind of, you know, wish that Dave Roberts, you know, Roberts would let, let the guys play, let them, uh, you know, struggle, let them, um, power their way through uh, both physically and mentally through those, you know, tough times through those, um, uh, through those slumps. It, it's what baseball is. You know, if you ever played baseball growing up, um, that, that's how it is. Sometimes you're on fire, you hit everything. Sometimes you don't hit anything and you've got to be able to mentally get through those slumps. And I don't think that Robert's let's guys, you know, do that. And whether that comes up from the, the the front office or whether it's, you know, Roberts himself, you know, making the call, I think, you know, especially with a young guy like Will Smith, he's got to just let him figure it out. Let him get better. He's, he's young and he's, you know, got too much potential to, you know, sort of second guess his ability uh, in different situations. Um, but, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens, you know, with yeah. that, uh, I think, you know, a guy like guy like, like Lux, um, I'm glad, you know, he's getting the opportunity. I'm glad he's, you know, seizing that opportunity. Uh, I think, you know, maybe last year was too early for him. Still hadn't uh, fully developed, but uh, he's looking to, you know, come out strong this season. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I would really, you know, and it seems like the Dodgers are going to do this, but I'd really love to see them just give Lux that runway, man. Just let the kid play every day. And, you know, just let him build up that confidence. Let him find his groove, right? Like you said, baseball is a game of rhythm. You have to get your everyday at-bats because if you're not in the lineup every day, then you're really not involved in a game too much. You might get one pinch hit at-bat. And so um, one of my concerns is that they go to a platoon at second base with like splitting at-bats with Chris Taylor or something like that. Um, when a lefty when a lefty is pitching, right? Chris Taylor at, at second base since uh, Gavin Lux hits left-handed and then A.J. Pollock in left field um, because – you know, the, the metrics or whatnot might say that Chris Taylor is better against left-handed pitchers. And we, you know, kind of what you talked about, Dave Roberts tends to do that. The front office tends to do that platoon hitters. And we saw that happen with Kike and we saw that happen with Jock, right? Where Jock Peterson came up as this like, you know, hot prospect. And, you know, I was watching or, or watching a report on the TV the other day and they were talking about how Jock Peterson in AAA hit 299 against left-handed pitchers. But then when he comes up to the big leagues, he's a, you know, a platoon, a platoon uh, outfielder only hitting against right-handed pitchers. And granted, he raked against right-handed pitching, but we have to think is his, did his struggles against left-handed pitching come because he just didn't have the opportunities, right? And now he's, he's with the Cubs, wish him the best, love Jock, Jocktober all day. And I do, um, I do think that we'll see him, you know, he's not probably not going to hit lefties the best, but he'll be able to manage and handle them. And you're going to probably see way better numbers across the board as he's just finding his rhythm every day. So I hope the same thing for Lux. I just hope that he gets to play every day. I like what I saw, uh, you know, in spring, in spring training out of him. Um, I like what I saw today. Um, just, you know, just seems to be able to, you know, he's handling himself well in the batter's box and he's hitting like, you know, he's going to hit eighth, seventh, eighth for us. So I was talking to one of my friends about Gavin Lux and it's just, you know, he doesn't need to be an all-star. He doesn't need to be a top five second baseman. You know, he right now is just opportunities, learn the game, build your confidence, learn how to hit, you know, um, big league pitching. And for him, it's like the long picture, right? Just getting better year after year. But I, I do feel like he'll he'll finish the season as a top uh, top ten second baseman in baseball. Yeah, definitely, I definitely agree with that. And uh, I don't know, he just uh, he reminds me of you know uh, 
who does he remind me of? I don't even know who he reminds me of. I had a name in my head and I uh, forgot it. Uh, anyway, um, you know, let's talk about the, the bullpen. Uh, I feel like the bullpen is going to be a, a sort of stickier situation in a good way, right? Because we've got a ton of depth, uh, the kind of depth that you, you know, we haven't had in years. Only problem is that we don't necessarily have that closer. Uh, you know, we have Kenley Jansen and, you know, he's been sort of a workhorse and I was a big critic early in, you know, the early uh, 2010s um, that we just, we gave him too much of the haul. He, he was pitching too early into games, especially during the playoffs and the guy burned out, the guy burned out. And ever since he sort of had that incident with his, uh, with his health, he was never the same. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a, uh, it's because his, you know, confidence was shot or because the guy's just, you know, exhausted, but I, I don't necessarily trust him to be that closer that he he's been for us, uh, you know, these past, you know, five, six, seven years, um, in, not with a 91 mile per hour fastball, uh, you know, especially when he's, I mean, some days he comes in and he's only hitting like 87, 88, 89. And, you know, guys are used to seeing 99, 100 miles per hour. So those 87 mile per hour fastballs, you hang one and it's going to take, you know, get taken out uh, easily. Uh, I mean, I, I could hit a, you know, 87 mile per hour fastball and I'm not even a big leaguer. And that, that, that goes to show, you know, that it's a different game. It's, it's, it's a lot more powerful. And so, you know, who fills in that role at closer? Is it sort of like uh, by committee? Is it, you know, Price, who's got a lot of experience in uh, high leverage situations, um, but hasn't been a closer, you know, in his life. Um, so what do you do? How do you handle the bullpen? Yeah. Um, so my initial thoughts on the bullpen and just like the Dodger pitching staff is that we might have too many, too many arms. And like, uh, that sounds like a rich, a rich man's problem, rich people problem. But I just feel like, you know, because we still got Joe Kelly and Brewster Gatterall on the I.L., and they're eventually yeah. going to come back. So I figure Scott Alexander probably gets optioned and then maybe one of the, um, you know, the younger bats gets optioned back to AAA and whatnot. But I don't know, man, I'm not as down on Kenley Jansen as other people are because I'm not worried about the regular season with Kenley Jansen. So I, I, I figure that he'll be okay during the regular season. I'm worried about the playoffs and, and October. And as we saw last year in the playoffs, he struggled, right? Like you said, he'll come out one game and he's going 93 and you're like, okay, all right. Adrenaline is pumping. The ball's coming out hard. Then another game, he'll, he'll come out and, you know, back-to-back -back days, typically the next day, if he's still on back-to-back, -back, he'll only be hitting 87. So that's really a cause for concern. So, but I think, you know, Dave Roberts in the front office will make the move they have to make in October to win, to get those games. Um, but I do have a feeling that we're going to have multiple, um, multiple pitchers with double digit saves. I don't know how many, but I, I do think that you'll see someone like Corey Knebel coming close some games. He came in in a high leverage situation today, struck out the uh, the one batter he faced to clean up um, after Kershaw. Um, I don't know after today, but I was thinking Jimmy Nelson might be able to close some games. But after today, not not too sure. I mean, it's just one game, but he's he's pretty nasty. He's pretty filthy. Um, Blake Trinan. Oh man, um, you know, uh, pitching ninja had posted the um, you know his uh, strikeout against the angels and just the, um, man, the, um, the, the, the splitter, the, um, just the fastball, the, the slider, 
Uh, he's just nasty. He's filthy also. So there's there's options. And, and David Price, right? David Price closed for the Tampa Bay Rays in the playoffs during his rookie season. And so that's another guy that if you're just bringing him out the um, out the pen to get you three outs, like he's going to be throwing much harder, right? And we know he's a proven Cy Young award-winning pitcher. So there's just, and we're not even Brewster Gatterall, probably not ready to close now, but has the stuff, right? And so there's just, it's a good place to be. Uh, for the bullpen, <laughs> that's never really a strength of the Dodgers, but it feels good to to say like we have a pitching problem. We have too many arms uh, as a team, and so we'll, we'll see. Um, I I think Jansen, if he doesn't come out right and he's not doing what he needs to do, um, you know, the Dodgers might have a quick hook on him this year and give someone else opportunities. Um, I also think you won't see Jansen pitching too much um, on back to back days. Um, I do agree with you that they've kind of maybe overused him over the years. And so um, back-to-back days, he just doesn't look the same. So I don't, I don't think you'll see much of that. Um, and on those back-to-back days, they'll lean on someone else to get the saves if, if need be, because they have, they have options. So no need to force it with Jansen. Um, and, and my thoughts are really with all Dodger pitchers is like, no need to force anything, you know, don't push someone's pitch count up to a hundred if you don't have to. You have all these long relievers in the pen. You have all the, these quality pitchers. So I, I think uh, the front office and Dave Roberts will manage the pitching very well and give everyone opportunities. And I think the goal, as it should be, is to get to October healthy and fresh and everyone ready to go. Yeah, definitely. I um, I agree on on uh, all those points, really. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's, oh man, I mean, being a Dodger fan, you know, for, for my entire life, I can't remember a time where we were so, uh, you know, stacked at every position. Um, I mean, there were years we just had, we had nothing and it was frustrating. And now it's like, damn, like, you know, if someone goes down, someone come in and, uh, fill for them. Um, you know, there's a position that I think, uh, you know, might be of concern. I would say, you know, third base, um, not that I don't trust Justin Turner, but, you know, he is getting up there in age and, um, uh, you know, with that comes, you know, uh, mobility, um, and he hasn't shown it yet. I'm not saying that by, by any means, but, you know, it, it can become a problem, especially as the season goes on and, you know, his body, you know, wears down. Um, but outside of that, really, uh, I don't see, uh, I don't see very many weaknesses. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, Roberts handles that the talent, you know, through and through. Um, I think, uh, you know, we're in a strong place. We can play situations as good as anyone, uh, might imagine. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see, to see what happens. Um, but you know, let's talk about, uh, Francisco Lindor. Let's talk about, uh, Corey Seager, 10 years, 341 million. Uh, that, that seems like a lot of money, maybe not as good a contract as uh, other guys have been getting. Um, I mean, he is a shortstop, um, but seeing as how Corey Seager is probably the best natural hitter in baseball, seeing as how he's such a big body, such a big frame, you know, a guy that, you know, is going to, um, last for a long time. I mean, how, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with this contract, especially, you know, coming off of the, uh, mega contract that we just gave to Mookie and considering, you know, the guys that are going to want to get paid eventually, how do you, how do you manage that? How much money do you give them? Yeah, that's a tough one, man. And I feel like um, baseball fans, Dodger fans are very split on, you know, um, the value of some of these shortstops. 
like I for one wasn't very surprised on Lindor's um, Lindor's contract. I thought it was right about right for you know um, switch hitting, um, shortstop, premier position, um, great defender, hits for power, hits for average, steals bases. Uh, great locker room guy by all accounts. Um, and then also just being in New York, right? The market, the marketability of a Latino player in the city of New York, right? And then the Mets trying to, you know, get back into contention. So you have to lock him up. You traded for him, you have to lock him up. And so I wasn't, I wasn't mad at the contract, you know. Um, as a if I were if I were a Mets fan, I think it was fair value. Um, so I think it was a good contract for both sides. Now, when it comes to Seeger and uh, the other shortstops as well that are coming up, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, um, you know, Javi Baez. Um, looking at the the offer that the – or the supposed offer that the Astros made to Carlos Correa, the sixth year is $120 million. Like, that's super low ball, and everyone's kind of a consensus. That's a low ball offer, even for Correa, even though I do not like Carlos Correa uh, and any Astro, honestly, but still, like, that's not his value. So for Corey Seager, I, I think it depends. The big question mark with Corey Seager has always been health, right? Because when he's healthy, you're right. He is one of the best natural hitting players in all of baseball, not alone, not just a shortstop. Um, and he projects not just as a shortstop long-term, but for most people think he'll move eventually to third base, right? Because he's such a big body um, shortstop. And so I think the key is if he can build on last year. Right. Because he had like the um, he had a couple surgeries and then last season finally getting healthy rakes during the regular season NLCS MVP World Series MVP just definitely carried us, carried us as a team throughout the playoffs. Can he stay healthy this year? If Corey Seager stays healthy for the full season. MVP. I truly think if he stays healthy for the full season, continues what he did last year and not even just the playoffs, if he just does what he did last year in the regular season, I think you will see him in the conversation for MVP. And if he finishes top three for MVP and can, does, goes, you know, and does great in the playoffs again, Scott Boris being his agent, bro, <laughs> they're going to want the money, man. They're going to want uh, big dollars, um, 300 million, 10 years, 300 million. I think that's the starting point if he's healthy. All right, y'all. So now time to transition to the, your Los Angeles Lakers. And um, we had the game the other night against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, we did lose a 112 to 97. Um, but the game didn't start out that way, right? Uh, Lakers come out hot from the three-point line. Uh, it just seemed like the debut of Andre Drummond brought energy to the team. Um, they came out with a little more pep in their step, playing hard, playing with great energy, and came out shooting hot from the three-point line. Uh, in that first quarter, uh, shooting eight, uh, eight for 12 from the three-point line. But it kind of just really fell off after that first quarter. Seems like the Bucks woke up and started to play some better defense. Um, and the Lakers went cold from the three-point line. Um, you know, they eventually end up shooting, you know, just 10 for 36 from the three-point line at, at by the end of the game. So starting off eight for 12, then finishing off uh, 10 for 36. So they go, what, two for 24 the rest of the game after the first quarter. So that that's just not going to get it done. Um, Edgar, your thoughts on this, uh, the Lakers game, Andre Drummond's debut? Oh, boy. You know, I had, uh, I had... I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like I had higher expectations, but at the same time, I didn't. I mean, I know this guy, he hasn't played uh, in about two months. Um, 
And when, you know, you don't play for that long, you're going to be out of rhythm. You're going to be out of shape. Uh, even if you've been working out in the gym, it's just not the same intensity. It's not the same speed at in the gym. Um, so I knew he was going to have a hard time. Um, I thought the team around him sort of looked out of rhythm. They didn't know how to rotate. Uh, they, you could tell it was awkward early on in the game, um, sort of learning how to play with him in there. Uh, they, they wanted to give him space. And I felt like that sort of um, affected uh, the way they came out. And again, we came out strong, we came out hot. And so that might've like eclipsed, um, you know, how they looked, but it kind of like progressed or, you know, once the game progressed, you kind of sort of saw things, uh, you know, fall apart. Um, I think the the injury was unfortunate. I'm not worried. It, it's a toenail. Um, he'll recover. It might be painful, but hey, if, uh, you know, Kobe can play with uh, no feeling in his finger, win two championships and a gold medal, then this guy better be able to play with, uh, you know, missing toenail. That's just, you know, the Laker way. That's the toughness that you've got to bring if you want to wear the purple and gold. And I hope he really does rise to that standard. And, uh, you know, those are my thoughts with Drummond. Um, he's been with, you know, teams that have been, you know, terrible, the, you know, the Pistons, the, uh, the, the Cavs. Um, and when you're on a bad team, you know, you have less motivation to play. You have less motivation to, you know, try hard. And that sort of, you know, translates into your game. I'm hoping now that he's in, in the presence of, you know, those 17 banners. He's in the presence of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, um, even, uh, you know, uh, an owner like uh, Jeannie Buss. I hope he does come out and, you know, feel that pressure to perform, feel that pressure to give that extra you know, 10% in practice, um, you know, hit the weights. Uh, um, and, you know, we'll see. I think, you know, as far as his game, um, he's a good rebounder. We're going to need those offensive rebounds, those uh, second chance opportunities, you know, during the playoffs. He's crafty around the basket in the sense that um, he he's not straight up like a, a Dwight Howard who just tries to muscle his way through. You know, he can, you know, sort of, uh, you know, move. Um, so that could be of, uh, of, of benefit, but, you know, I am concerned uh, with his passing. I am concerned with his, uh, with his defense. Um, can he step up? Can he sort of, uh, close down guys in the perimeter? And then, you know, if guys decide to drive, can he recover? Um, and that's, you know, going to come down to the entire team, you know, can guys, uh, um, uh, shift over in time to, you know, back him up. Uh, so there's a lot of question marks, uh, you know, ooh, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts as far as, uh, you know, the team going forward? Yeah. So real quick on Andre Drummond's debut, like just to, let's say there for a second. Um, I agree with you. Like there are some good things and there are some, you know, not so good things, but that's expected in your debut, right? You only had one practice um, building chemistry with the team. And so, you know, I'm not going to, you know, put too much stock in his debut. I do think he brought energy in that first shift he played. I think he played like the first seven minutes of the first quarter and um, had a block shot, um, took a charge against Giannis. So you, you were able to see that athleticism, that mobility. Um, and on the offensive end, you're able to see a little bit of what he can bring that potential. Um, he made some really good passes out of the low post to open shooters. Um, and then also being able to take his man off the dribble, um, he could definitely handle the ball better than most centers and most guys his size, which is a positive. But it just doesn't seem like he has much of a game plan when he starts to dribble. That's kind of what I felt. Um, I kind of felt like he's still very raw. Um, you know, like I, I, he dribbled baseline right hand, you know, strong side dribble many times. Would go to the baseline to get cut off and he'd get stuck. And it would lead to a turnover or a bad shot. 
Um, I'd love to see him, you know, go baseline off that, you know, right-handed dribble, spin to the middle, um, look to finish or, you know, up and under, you know, just a little, a little more, you know, kind of like I saw Giannis take him left, pump fake him, get him in the air, then finished easily. So I'd like to see a little more, something like that from Drummond, but yeah, just uh, curious to see moving forward, um, just some things with Drummond and the Lakers. Um, the first thing that pops in my head is just the minutes. Um, where does Vogel find the minutes for all these big men that we have? And this is before Anthony Davis returns and before LeBron returns, because we know Davis plays some minutes at the center and we know LeBron plays some minutes at the power forward. Um, so for Drummond, you know, how do we split minutes at the center between Drummond, Harrell and Mark Gasol? Um, you know, you saw yesterday, it looked like Marcus all wasn't going to play at all till Drummond could not, you know, move forward because of the toenail and that, that foot injury. But I like Marcus all, <laughs> there's not many Laker fans that like Mark Gasol. Um, I just like the savviness, um, that, that, that veteran savvy that he brings to the game. I like his passing. Um, I would argue that he's probably the second best creator on the Lakers after LeBron James. Just the way he sees the court, the way he passes, um, you know, because you know what, Marcus Gasol, if you give him the ball and you cut, you're going to more than likely get the ball back, but he's going to be looking for you. And when you play with a, a big man like that or anyone like that, you're going to just play harder. You're going to make your cuts harder. You're going to want to play that give and go. You're going to be moving more, less standing around. So I like what he brings on the offensive end. He played that fourth quarter shift with the second unit. And I thought he did a really good job of passing the ball. He didn't shoot the ball great, you know, but th just the fact that he can shoot from the three-point line brings a whole nother layer to the offense, right? It extends the defense out some, which opens up those cutting lanes and those passing lanes and those driving lanes for the, um, for the various Laker players. So that's one thing I'm definitely curious about to see um, just how Vogel handles those center minutes. Um, what are your thoughts on the center position? Marcus all, you know, drum and Harold, how do you feel like Vogel's going to handle that? It's tough, you know, just because, uh, like you said, those guys are different, like in style, just completely different. Uh, I think with, you know, with any Gasol, you know, we saw with Powell for so many years, you're going to get that quality. You're going to get that uh, finesse. You're going to get those passes. Um, he's going to find the open man. He's going to make the smart play. That's sort of what you expect from a Gasol. Uh, so I, I'm not too worried about him um, outside of his ability to, you know, sort of move because um, he is older. He is a bigger guy. Um, and when the game speeds up is, you know, is that the kind of guy you want to have in there? Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does, uh, with Harold. I mean, I love Harold. I think Harold's, uh, he's a dog. And I mean, I mean that in a good way, obviously, you know, I, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy that's gonna, you know, he's going to fight for the rebound. He's going to fight, um, on defense. Um, he is undersized, which is one of the concerns, um, but he's always going to fight. He's always going to give you that, you know, second effort. He's not going to quit on you. Um, and that's what I like about him. He's so efficient, uh, you know, on the offensive end. Um, I think the other day he shot like 10 for 12 and, you know, you don't get that from, you know, any center, uh, much less the guy that's, uh, you know, his size. Um, so I, I think he, he will get minutes. I think he deserves the minutes. Um, um, I kind of wish we saw him a little bit more in the fourth quarter when you need that tenacity, you need that sort of like, um, you know, that strength, uh, which we seem to have lacked in, you know, some of the past games, um, as far as Drummond, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how, how we play him. Um, you know, I think having him in the middle sort of, uh, liberates AD to move around, you know, a little bit more. He can, uh, 
post up in the perimeter. He can, uh, you know, serve as a decoy uh, for AD. Um, so we have a lot of flexibility in that sense. Um, I don't think I don't think you can have AD Drummond and LeBron in at the same time because they'd just be too slow and too big. Um, and a lot of you know teams could expose them. But if you are playing against a team with uh, with a lot of big men, you know maybe a, a team like the Jazz who. You have a guy like Rudy Gobert who is physical, who is big. You want to knock him around. You want to, you know, get him tired. You want to get him into foul trouble. So we have a lot of bodies to throw at him, and uh, that, that's in a sense, you know, a good thing. We can afford to get guys in foul trouble, um, which not a lot of other teams can afford to do. You know, Jokic can't get in foul trouble because if he goes out, you know, the Nuggets are done. You know, same with the Jazz; they're so dependent on Gobert um, that if he gets into foul trouble, he's done. And you know, we can afford to throw bodies at people, and I think that's going to be in advantage especially during the playoffs when foul trouble counts for a lot you know you're not just playing for the next game you're playing for your season uh so it'll be interesting to see um what happens uh in that sense uh i yeah. think one of the you know more interesting talking points is that you know dennis schroeder i don't know what you your thoughts are on his uh on his contract oh, uh man i have so many thoughts on dennis schroeder um so starting off just like with the bucks game um he shot six for 18 when you're a guard, you know, and a small guard like him, um, you know, and, and the Bucks are a great defense, right? The Bucks are a great defense. Um, but a, a guard like him where, like, speed is his strength, he has to get to the basket. Um, and, and the Bucks do a great job of cutting off those those driving lanes and forcing you into that mid-range or three-pointer. But that's his game. That's the thing is it's if he doesn't get to the basket, he has a really good, like, pull-up mid-range game, but it just wasn't there. And I feel like it really hasn't been there all season um you know i was looking at his stats and he's really regressed to his like regular season averages uh you know from previous seasons like in atlanta so you can see that season last year in oklahoma city was kind of the outlier season where he shot so much better from the field so much better from the three-point line um and then this year his averages have really regressed to the, you know his averages when he was in in atlanta so um yeah, I'm just not, I'm not very high on him. Um, I I feel like he'd be better if he ran with the bench because you can just give him the ball and say, okay, go. Here's the ball and go. Create for yourself, create for others if you can't create for yourself. And, you know, players like that don't tend to play very well alongside LeBron James um, because, you know, LeBron's going to create a lot of open three-point looks and Schroeder's not shooting great from the three-point line. and so. Um, and then he rejects the the offer for the extension, four years, eighty four million, I believe was the offer, and he reje he rejects that offer. And so, you know, I've had some time to think about it, and it makes sense. You could probably reject that offer because you know that offer is always there, right? So I'm I'm trying to put myself in his shoes as a free agent. Okay, I know that offer is there. Why not go test the free agent market and see if I can get more? You know, because this is his first time being a, a, a real free agent on the open market. So why not go test out the market? Let me see if I can get more. And if I can get more, I bring that offer to the Lakers and the Lakers are going to match it or they're not. But if they're not going to match it, I have another place to go and, and make my money. Right. We have to always remember the NBA is a business. So we have to look at it from that perspective. Um, but I don't feel comfortable giving them. Honestly, I don't feel comfortable giving them four four years, 84 million. I, I really don't. Um, I was looking at just, 
you know, team salaries and contracts and, and just other players. And there's not a lot of players who are making 20 million. Um, you know, a lot of players who are making 20 million and you just, you know, you can kind of just forget about them and just be like, Oh, whatever. If they don't play too great, you know, no big deal. Um, you know, I'm thinking about Fred Lant, Fred Van Vliet's uh, extension that he signed with the Raptors last year, and he signed for four years, $85 million. And Dennis Schroeder is not better than Fred Van Vliet, in my opinion, at least. You know, he doesn't shoot it as well as him. He doesn't – I mean, they probably defend about the same, but I don't feel like Schroeder is better than Fred Van Vliet. So – but the other thing is that the Lakers are kind of stuck with him because they're they're already pushing as an over-the-cap team. So if he and they can go over the cap to retain their own free agents. So if he doesn't sign that extension and he leaves, we don't have many options unless it's a sign and trade. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting um, how the Lakers handle that. But um, I feel like you and I feel pretty, uh, pretty similar about Schroeder, Matt. What are your, what are your thoughts on Schroeder? I mean, I feel the same way, you know, um, to me, he's a strong guard. He's not, he's not a point guard and uh, with the Lakers, he is a point guard. Um, you know, he, again, you know, a point guard doesn't take 18 shots and uh, a point guard is pass first. He's not looking to, you know, shoot, you know, so much when, when I think point guard, I think a guy like Lonzo um, who has been a lot better this year. Um, I kind of wish we'd, uh, you know, made a move for him uh, during the trade deadline. Um, but that's the kind of guy I want, you know, the guy that's looking for that pass, you know, at first, he's not necessarily looking to shoot, but he's not afraid to shoot when, you know, he's wide open. Um, you know, especially after losing a guy like Rondo, who's just a perfect, like, you know, player, he's a floor general, he's, you know, just super high IQ. He knows how to make the right pass. He knows how to be gritty and get in guys' faces. Um, he's everything you want out of a, a point guard, even at his age. And so when I look at Schroeder, he does not represent any of that. And even when you look at his performance uh, yesterday um, against Holiday, and, you know, I'll be at Holiday, he, he got some like $120 million or something. So he got paid and he's, you know, obviously a higher quality uh, point guard, but Schroeder just, he got destroyed. He got outplayed. He's, he's undersized. He, he, you know, he's been great for us the past few games when we've been missing, uh, we were missing AD definitely uh, um, helped us pull through, but he's not a difference maker. He's not going to elevate the team. Um, He replaces production you know, but he doesn't sort of um, add to it. Um, and so that, that that's what concerns me uh, the most with him. Um, is he worth $84 million? I think by today's standards, especially when you look at what a guy like, you know, Mike Conley made a, a couple years back. Yeah, you know, he, he'll get that money. Uh, if it's not with the Lakers, Lakers, he'll get it somewhere else. But he just doesn't seem like the right piece for the team. Um I'm not saying we shouldn't resign him. I'm not saying he's a bad player, but in terms of what we need and what we're looking for, I just wish the guy would, um, you know, he would pass more. That, that's really my biggest qualm. I just wish he would like to pass more. Um, so so yeah. we'll see what happens, you know, we'll see what they do yeah. with him. And, and so, it, and I also, it's just, I don't know if the Lakers are using him in the best possible role. Cause if you look at the starting lineup last year for the majority of the season, it was Avery Bradley, um, with uh, with Danny Green and LeBron, right? And so you had two defensive-minded guards who played off the ball, were not on the ball, and don't need to be on the ball, and you just let LeBron create. 
So I feel like you could probably move Schroeder to the bench. I know he wanted to start. That was like a big thing for him when he came to the Lakers. He wanted to start. And so I get why the Lakers started him. But um, part of me like wonders like, how would the second unit look if you moved Schroeder to the second unit and then you move like an Alex Caruso or like a Thalen Horn Tucker to the starting lineup or, or, or Wes Matthew, you know, let him play the tune like KCP guard once, something like that, um, you know. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see moving forward. All right, man. So um, just some uh, closing thoughts on the Lakers um, moving forward. Um, I have a couple points. And I want to get your, your your thoughts and what what you're looking forward to for the rest of the season. So, um, number one for me moving forward is just with LeBron and AD out, the role players. I like that they're starting to find their groove. You see Wesley Matthews shooting the ball better. You see Markeith Moore shooting the ball better. You see Kuzma. He's not shooting the ball great right now, but just doing a little bit more. Um, you know, you see Harold's been playing like a beast, but he's been playing like a beast all season. So. Um, you know, I really want to see KCP start to shoot the ball better. So just these role players, just more touches, more shots, find their groove so that they're in a good place. And then when LeBron and AD come in, it can just elevate them. So that's one thing I'm definitely looking forward to moving forward. Uh, the next one is, man, we just got to stay healthy. It's just, you know, uh, you know, we got LeBron out. We got AD out. They're expected back in, you know, the next like two to four weeks, you know, each each one on a different timeline. Then Drummond makes his debut, crazy fluke injury, you know, broke uh, broke off his toe or whatever. So he's going to miss a couple games. And so just for the rest of the team, man, we just can't afford any injuries. We just have to stay healthy. Let LeBron and AD come back. Let's ramp up for the playoffs, build our chemistry. Everyone be healthy for the playoff push. And my last point, my, my rattle some Laker fans, man, but um, there's 24 games left in the season as of today, right? Um, I figure that LeBron and AD, I don't think they'll both be back on the court. Like, I don't think our team will be full until the last 12 games of the season. That's kind of what I'm, I'm predicting. That's like late April. Um, and so that means the next 12 games, we will have to play without LeBron and AD together. And the way we've been playing recently and the way the rest of the Western Conference has been playing, right, you have the Mavericks balling, you have the Nuggets balling, you have the Blazers balling, the Spurs are always going to spur, right? They're always going to be right there. And so just looking at the, the way the rest of the Western Conference is just pushing, I think there's a possibility that the Lakers do fall out of the playoffs. Maybe not completely, but I do think there's a chance that they suck it up these next 12 games, finish like 4-8, and 3-9, and nine, that puts them right above 500, maybe like five or six games, I think above 500. And I think it's very possible that they find themselves when LeBron and AD come back for like those final 12 games, roster is full. Hopefully roster is full and intact for the last 12 games. The Lakers can find themselves in the eight seed. And then at that point, there's very small room for error because now you're trying to, you know, I don't see the nuggets dropping that far back. I don't see the Blazers dropping that far back. The Mavericks have been playing really well. You know, maybe they can pass the Spurs, but that 8-7 seed in the playoffs now, you got to play the play-in tournament. It's not just a guaranteed playoff spot. So they have to play that play-in tournament, and nobody wants to play in that play-in tournament, right, because you have to basically, you know, punch your ticket to get into the playoffs. And so for the Lakers, no matter how far they fall back, the goal will eventually be to get to that 6 seed right? The goal is to get to that six seed so that they can avoid the play-in. But 
the way that, you know, the, the way the standings and the conference seating for the playoffs is shaken out right now, I think ideally they wouldn't want the six seed because I think right now the, um, the Clippers are, um, the Clippers are the, um, the three seed. So you don't want to play the Clippers in the first round. I guarantee you that no matter how much Clipper hate we want to throw out there, we can say they blew a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets. Don't nobody want to play the Clippers in the first round. So ideally, you'd want to get to, you know, the five seed. Then you play, you know, maybe Portland and Denver in the first round. Even Denver is a tough matchup. There's really no easy matchup in the um, in the in the West. But I think it'd be great. Like if they did finish as the eight seed, and they secure the eight seed. Give me the Jazz in the first round, please. That's I ain't worried about the Jazz. You give me Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert and his crybaby ass in the first round. Um, you know, we'll, we'll handle them. No problem. AD gives Rudy Gobert the work every time they play. So I would not be worried about that matchup. Um, and I wouldn't even be worried about a seven seed and playing like the Suns. You know, they're the two seed right now playing the Suns in the first round. I'd feel fine about that. Um, Cause I do think the Suns, like while they're playing really well, just don't, this would be the first playoff run for, you know, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, you know, Cam Johnson, all these guys. So I do think they still got to kind of, you know, figure that out as like a young roster. But uh, yeah, man, definitely concerned with all these injuries and us possibly falling out of favorable playoff seating. Uh, what are your thoughts, man? What are some things you're looking forward to um, these last 24 games? No, you know what? I think you uh, hit on all the right points. You know, you look at the next 12 games and we've got back-to-backs against, you know, Utah. We got back-to-back against uh, Dallas. We've got um, Brooklyn, uh, Miami. You know, we've got New York who, you know, they're the Knicks, but they've actually been, you know, playing pretty well. Um, I think the the two games that you could look at and say, okay, well, we can, you know, win those are Charlotte and Sacramento. Um, outside of that, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty damn tough. Um uh, you know, you've got, you've got the Clippers, you've got Brooklyn. Um, and then, you know, once AD and LeBron do come back, uh, you've got some easy games, you know, Orlando, Washington, Sacramento, but then it gets kind of tough with uh, Denver, the Clippers, the Blazers, the Suns, you got the the Knicks again. Um, and, you know, when you play the Knicks, you've got uh, um, Julius Randle and, you know, he's going to come out and try to give, uh, you know, the Lakers the work because, you know, he used to play for us. And so you can't uh, sleep on the, you know, teams like that. Um, uh, so it, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting. Uh, it's, it's crazy looking at the, uh, the West and uh, you realizing there is not that much room for error. You know, there are that many, you know, top teams, good teams. Um, and, you know, ironically uh, it's the one and two seeds that are probably the weakest uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I wouldn't be scared of the jazz. I wouldn't be scared of, uh, of uh, the Suns just because, you know, they're young, like you said. Um, but, uh, you know, a team like uh, the Clippers, you know, it, it, it makes you worry because, you know, they are good and uh, say what you want about PG-13. Um, it just takes a couple good games and, you know, he can be good and he's been good in the past. Um, so, you know, a lot of question marks, uh, definitely not – super worried um i'm confident that lebron and ad will come back strong i feel good that uh you know they're gonna recover um you know especially with an injury like injury like ad you know when you when you have a a calf injury it's not so much that you're worried about the achilles it's that you're worried that the tight calf is going to pull on the achilles and cause a bigger injury 
Um, and it, you know, it's a lot better than having a, you know, a straight Achilles where it's the actual Achilles that's, uh, affected. So, um, I think for him, it's just a matter of rest and it's a matter of rehab and it's a matter of recovery for LeBron. It's, it's an ankle injury. You know, it, uh, it is what it is. You've got to wait for the swelling to go down. You got to wait for the mobility to come back a lot of ice, a lot of massage. Um, and then hopefully, uh, when he comes back, just wrap it twice and, uh, um, you know, hopefully it doesn't bother him too much. He's LeBron. He's a warrior. He's going to battle through. He's done it all his life. Um, but you know, it is a, it is a matter of timing and, you know, can we get back and get into rhythm in time for the, the playoffs to start? So, um, it'll, it'll be interesting. And, you know, uh, I think, I think we'll be okay. I think, uh, we'll be back just in time to pick up that momentum and, uh, you know, ramp it up, uh, during the playoffs, um, yeah, I'd be more worried about a team like uh, like the Nets, you know, because great uh, Durant came back and he played his, you know, outside his mind for the first few games. But, you know, remember, this guy's been out for a long time. You know, I mean, a full season and he comes back and he's already uh, getting injured again with his hamstring. And, uh, you know, hamstring injuries aren't that serious, but they're not something to play around with because, you know, it's a nagging injury and it is something that will come back, um, just as easily. So, um, you've got to give it enough rest and, uh, you know, we don't know how those three guys have played together. Um, you know, Aldridge and Griffin, you know, I'm not worried about those guys. They're, you know, past their primes and yeah, they were good when, uh, um, they were playing at, you know, all-star caliber, but they're not, you know, those guys anymore. And it really just comes down to Harden, who I think can, you know, play outside his mind, uh, Irving, who, um, again, he's Kyrie Irving. He hits the big shots. He's got the, he's got the dribbles, but you know, can they all play together? Um, and can they stay healthy? So, you know, those are question marks, uh, for the Nets. Um, and that's really the biggest threat I see for, for the Lakers. Um, I still think we have a lot of, uh, mismatches and advantages, um, especially down low. Um, so we'll see, you know, it'll be an interesting, uh, you know, last part of the season and, you know, those guys know that and, you know, we'll see what happens. That really wraps it up. Um, we've covered both the Lakers, the Dodgers, and, uh, we hope to continue covering both teams, as the season continues, uh, you know, the ups, downs, uh, we'll be here through it all. Um, look forward to, you know, getting to, you know, meet listeners, getting their thoughts, feedback. Uh, once we get up and going, you know, we're going to um, ask, you know, for questions from you guys, what you guys think. Um, you know, obviously, uh, when it comes to L.A., we're all about, you know, passion. We're passionate fans and we take it, you know, seriously. We're, we're diehard through and through. We're not just, uh, you know, fair weather fans. Um, and you know, what better example than the Dodgers who had the highest uh, season attendance, even when we were in last place. Um, so, you know, we're looking forward to getting your thoughts. We're looking forward to getting your reactions on the game, on, on the games. Um, and, uh, we'll see what happens, you know, when the playoffs start, uh, it's an exciting time for both teams and it's an exciting time for the city of Los Angeles with things opening back up. Um, so, you know, get ready for, for those Dodger dogs, get ready for, uh, you know, hanging outside of, uh, uh, Staples center, um, going back to normal. And, uh, you know, we just look forward to, uh, you know, interacting with you guys, engaging and, uh, you know, talking Lakers and Dodgers.